Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. My name is Morgan Evans, Associate Editor with Natural Gas Intelligence, a natural gas and LNG news and price reporting agency focused on North America. Thanks for joining me for another episode of NGI's Hub & Flow. Today, NGI Senior Analyst Justin Mavez is sitting down with me to elaborate on a recent NGI article, U.S. Legislation Off-Roading NGVs as EV Funding Escalates. Those of us in the energy industry may be keenly aware of global government's push to phase out gasoline-fueled internal combustion engines to reduce emissions in the transportation sector, from sustainable aviation fuels for commercial aviation to electrification and alternative fuels for vehicles. The energy industry has picked up on the cues to decarbonize travel. In the early 1990s, natural gas vehicles, or NGVs, seemed to be at the forefront of vehicle decarbonization. A slew of legal packages came from the Clinton and Bush Jr. administrations to support production of alternative fuel vehicles. Justin, could you give us some background as to what the expectations were for NGVs in their early days? Did vehicle manufacturers pick up on NGVs? Well, back in the 2000s, we saw declining domestic oil production and rising oil prices, uh, which had peaked at over $145 in 2008. NGVs were seen as a cheaper, cleaner, and domestically produced alternative to traditional gasoline vehicles. So NGVs were basically out to compete directly with gasoline-powered cars and trucks. We did see investments in NGVs from auto manufacturers like GM, Ford, and Honda, who all brought NGVs to the market, but their reception and adoption was limited mostly due to a lack of fueling infrastructure, which didn't really appeal to buyers And in 2016, we saw some of the last CNG vehicles being sold here in the U.S. Now, although it's still possible to convert gas and diesel-powered cars and trucks to run on CNG, it's generally pretty costly, and the infrastructure issue still stands. So the CNG fueling infrastructure is the big impediment, but it would seem that NGVs are most prominent and still continuing to come up in the heavy-duty transportation sector. Natural gas is increasingly being used by companies like Waste Management, UPS, Amazon to reduce emissions in some of those high-emitting vehicles. What makes NGVs attractive to some of those heavy lifters? A lot of the appeal with heavy-duty NGVs are lower fuel costs and a lower carbon footprint in comparison to traditional diesel. There's also the public and private alternative fuel credits or incentives, which is especially significant for fleet vehicles. Uh, There's also some synergy we see in the waste management sector where organic waste can be converted into biogas to produce RNG or renewable natural gas. That biogas can in turn be refined and used as fuel for trucking fleets. Now, has the big impediment for the general public picking up NGVs been infrastructure? Yeah, well, again, the biggest weakness with NGVs has always been the lack of infrastructure, right? NGV fueling stations aren't as widely available as gasoline stations or even EV charging stations today. I read that there were over 145,000 gas stations nationwide. Currently, there are 
only a little over 800 active and public CNG stations in the U.S., with 20% of those stations located in California. Now compare that to nearly 62,000 EV stations, all according to the U.S. Department of Energy. The development of the NGV infrastructure has also been really slow. Uh, Over the last 20 years, there were about 29 new publicly available CNG stations constructed per year. Uh, But over that same time frame, there have also been 2,600 new EV stations that have been built on an annual basis. And this figure doesn't even include the over 160,000 EVSE single charging stations nationwide. Interesting. So now it's important to note that a lot of the subsidies for reducing emissions in the transportation sector that could be used among the general public are greater for EVs. For example, the Inflation Reduction Act passed last year grants anyone who purchases a new EV a $7,500 tax credit And there are many utilities that will assist with the cost of installing certain EV charging infrastructure. What do you think is the push for EVs from the top down? Does it have to do with a perception of greater emissions reductions for EVs or are there other factors at play? Well, I would say that EVs are considered an integral part of the federal government's strategy for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. I think that when you consider the full life cycle of EVs and the emissions impact of the electricity being used to power them, uh, there's more potential for reduction in net emissions versus NGVs. Uh, Electric generation isn't isolated to a single power source where you can have a mix of natural gas, solar, and wind to generate that power. I can't speak as strongly to other factors, but there's definitely recognition of the economic benefits that EVs have brought but more broadly in alternative energies, which have created jobs and has shown to have positive effect on uh, economic growth while promoting more domestic manufacturing, uh, things of that nature. So with the greater push for EVs, we also have to remember that the grid will be bearing an extra load. Last summer, we saw the California Independent System Operator call for the state's residents not to charge their electric vehicles during a massive heat wave that we know stressed the grid. Being in California right now, do you expect that to happen again this summer with current energy supply forecasts? Well, it's somewhat the norm here in California to reduce and conserve as much energy as possible during our summer heat waves. So I totally expect this to happen, uh, especially as more easily hit the road. California has made strides to increase its power generation mix from solar to wind, and energy storage is still coming online. Now, there's definitely concern with grid reliability and California's aging natural gas infrastructure, which provides a bulk of our electric generation. But it was definitely interesting to see EVs being mentioned in the demand response notices last year. And I expect that to eventually also become the new normal. Wow. And for the rest of the U.S., how does the electric grid stand up to increasing EV charging demand? What are we going to need to keep consumers' EVs charged up? I think it's safe to say that we'll continue to need uh, efficient, reliable, and low-cost energy sources, as well as expansion and continual development of our overall energy infrastructure. So we'll need a combination of all these factors as our power demand increases. The EIA actually reported that for last year, natural gas made up of about 40% of net U.S. electric generation, with renewables coming in at 22%. In terms of pricing, we're seeing rising costs, of course. Henry Hub's annual average jumped 66% last year. 
going from 387 per mm BTU in 2021 to 641 in M in 2022, price data which you can find in our daily gas price index. The EIA also reported the average U.S. residential electric price. It jumped around 11% year over year from 13.7 cents per kilowatt hour to 15 cents. So overall, we've seen a lot of price volatility in the market. We're going to need more energy sources to keep up with demand, which is a reason why I feel natural gas still plays a huge part in balancing out our overall energy mix in power generation. Well, on that note, that's all the time we have for today. Justin, thank you for joining me. And to our NGI listeners and readers, if you want to know more about natural gas vehicles and electric vehicles, you can visit NGI's website at naturalgasintel.com, where you'll be able to find some recent articles on the topic. Thank you, and have a great day. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or bid-week pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.